8th, our message is faith to faith. It's a faith to faith. I want to read you something from Romans that you're familiar with. It's different in different translations, but it's, it's worth hearing. This comes from the NIV. It says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Some translations say a righteousness that is from faith to faith. The idea being that your right standing with God starts in trusting Him, which is another English way to say faith, trusting. And it is completed in trusting Him. In other words, your right standing with God depends upon you trusting in Him. At the beginning of your life, at the middle of your life, and at the end of your life, a life of trusting Him. Turn with me to Exodus. You can be in Exodus 16. I want to talk to you about the Sabbath system. Tell me when you're there. Wow. Did y'all take some Prozac before the service? Y'all were happy when we were... It's the donuts, isn't it? Okay. Sugar There we go. Been there. The littlest. Loudest voice. That's what I was trying to say. Loudest voice. Uh, in Exodus 16, uh, pick up with me, I guess it would be around the 21st verse. Uh, you know, we're talking about manna. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want, and bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. I prefer my manna without maggots. How about you? Okay, well good. We're all on the same page. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day... The Sabbath, there shall not be any. Now, this is technically before uh, the nation of Israel has received the commandment, the fourth commandment, which was to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. But in, in real terms, from the very beginning of the Bible story, the Sabbath had always been a part of man's history. God instituted this in the very creation. And here you see something. Why would God have more manna fall on a sixth day and then ask the people to not go out and gather any on the seventh day. He is looking for a means on a weekly basis to show them a practical expression of trusting Him. And think about this. If every seven days you repeated this, you ought to get pretty used to it. For 144 hours, you could work as much as you wanted, as often as you wanted. And then for a 24-hour time period, you were supposed to take a break and simply trust God without working and watch His provision come through. You repeated that in a seven-day cycle over and over and over. But it didn't stop there. This was a stepping stone because our faith is supposed to grow. It's supposed to increase. It's supposed to go from faith to faith. 
It's supposed to be faith in the beginning and faith at the last. And your faith at the last should surpass your faith in the beginning. How much did you trust Jesus the day you were born again? Did you promise him you would give him your whole life? Did you? Would you have done anything that moment, right then, in that emotional cry out to God when He met you? Would you have done anything for Him? Well, it's supposed to have grown since then. So what does that say? Did they just have a weekly Sabbath in Israel? Was there only a Sabbath every seven days, or were there other Sabbaths as well? We're going to skip over some of the high holy days called Sabbaths, and let's just move on to a Sabbath of years. How about that one? Turn with me to Leviticus 25. Tell me when you're there. There. Leviticus 25. Let's read those first seven verses. The Lord said to Moshe on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. It's a very unique thing that I don't have time to teach tonight. But the God of the universe has a covenant with a man named Abraham, a covenant with the land called Israel. He actually is in covenant with the dirt itself, and his eye is continually upon it. Not just the people, the land itself obeyed the Sabbath. Isn't that an interesting way to say that? When you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards, and gather the crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to Yahweh. Do not sow in your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, for your manservant and maidservant, and the hired worker and temporary residents who live among you, as well as for your livestock and wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Well, if every 144 hours, every six days, you stopped and had a 24-hour Sabbath, and you had seen that 52 times a year, this would all be building your faith 52 times. You had seen that God provided enough on the sixth day to carry you through the seventh day. Now you've done that for six years. You've had 312 weekly Sabbaths under your belt. 312 times in which you trusted God and He came through for you. So after 312 of these, you were ready. You were ready to trust Him for an entire year of not working those fields. But let me ask you something. That is what God intended to happen. But what if out of the 52 a year, the 312 over 6 years, you were supposed to be doing, you took a few off and didn't trust Him. Maybe you were half-hearted in your devotion. Maybe, because of your sin, it didn't look like God came through. Because you fouled up His plan. Would it be harder to trust Him for that year? Of course it would. See, in this way, success in the kingdom breeds success. The more weekly Sabbaths you got under your belt where you did it correctly and trusted God correctly, and He came through for you, the easier it would be to handle the yearly Sabbaths. He did not start off by saying, you know what, I want you to take off a whole year and trust that I'm going to provide for you. Where did He start off doing? Working with them a week at a time. And after getting it down for a week at a time, 312 weeks, He said, now let's focus on a year. 
Faith is always growing from little to bigger to bigger to bigger. Did he rest with a yearly Sabbath? No. Because faith is always growing. If you keep reading down from the 8th verse through the 13th, you'll hear another kind of Sabbath. A Sabbath of Sabbaths, if you will. Count off seven, seven Sabbaths of years. Seven times seven years. So that the seven Sabbaths of years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty. What's another word for liberty? Freedom. Freedom. Throughout the land to all its inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. The fiftieth year shall be jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and it is holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee... Everyone is to return to his own property. Friends, if you had debts, they were even settled. You became debt-free in the 50th year. By the time the 50th year came around, following your weekly Sabbath cycle, you had 2,548 weekly Sabbaths under your belt. If you had done something 2,548 times correctly, and God had come through for you correctly, might you be able to trust Him and forgive people of their debts? Well, if 2,548 times you had seen His provision come through, why would you doubt that it would not come through in this year? See, faith was supposed to progressively grow on top of faith. I want to tell you a secret you can't find anywhere in Israel's history where they successfully kept the Jubilee. You know why? Because they didn't successfully keep their weekly Sabbaths. And when you don't successfully do the small thing, you never successfully do the larger thing. Anybody in here read Luke 12, 48 recently? When you're faithful over very little, much more is given. When you're faithful over much, much is given. When you're not faithful over the little you have, even what you have will be taken from you. You know that there was a penalty prescribed in the law. I'm not going to read it in the interest of time tonight. Leviticus 26, 34 tells you what it is, though. It says, you know what? If you do not keep the Sabbaths, I will cause a devourer to come in. It will oppress you. Nations will carry you off. It will get so bad you'll eat your sons and daughters. Eventually, the land will get its rest, Leviticus says. You understand? God demanded it. But he didn't want it to be done because he demanded it. He wanted it to be done because they trusted him. One way or another, every knee will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. But he's not looking for those to be forced to say Jesus is Lord. He's looking for those who trust him as their Lord. And he starts off in the small areas of your life and says, If you trust me here, I will show you yet a larger way you can trust me. And yet an even larger way. And you know what? I have immeasurably more ways than you can imagine to bless you through this process. And it is all based on trusting him. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 1. You with me? You're not with me. 
All the T's are together in the New Testament. Makes them easy to find. Tell me when you're there. Second Thessalonians 1. Look at the third verse. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith, your trust, is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Their faith that they began with was being multiplied. Now, based on what you just learned about the Sabbath, how is faith multiplied in your life? It's multiplied when He gives you a task, and you do it. And then you begin to trust Him for the next task, which is almost always larger than the one you were just given. And when you do that, He gives you another one. This is just like teaching a child to swim. Do you throw him in the deep end and walk off? That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Be the ninja method. If he swims, you train him. If he doesn't swim, need another child, right? You teach children to swim by holding their hands, teaching them to kick their feet. Then what do you do? You put a little separation between you and them, maybe a few feet, and they come to you. And they see that they can do it, and you see that they can do it. Then what do you do? You back up, and you let them come a little further. How do you teach them to ride bikes? How do you teach anybody to do anything? It is always this method, but our faith must be increasing. If the only act of faith that we have in our lives was the day that you had the courage to walk out of an aisle into an altar, that is not enough. Faith must be growing or it is dead. Anything that is not growing, that there is no life in, is dead. Our faith must be alive and vibrant and increasing and stretching. Now sometimes like the man in Mark 9, you might just have to honestly say, I do believe, Lord. Help me in my unbelief. There are times in which we can confess it is difficult, Lord, to trust you. I don't know if that's ever true, but it might be truly how we feel. And it's okay to say that. You know what's not okay to do? Not trust him. Let me ask you something. In the areas that you were obedient in, when you did what he told you to do, unequivocally, without question, There is no gray area. He said, and you did, and you're confident of that. How many of you can charge the God of the universe with guilt and say he let you down? Most of the time, even in scenarios where people claim that, you dig deeply, you find out they did not do wholeheartedly what he asked. They did some of what they wanted to do, some of what he wanted to do, and charge him with guilt. I maintain that when we take the step he tells us to take, when he tells us to do it, it is a faith-building exercise because he always comes through for his people. And as that happens, you learn to put one foot in front of the other until you can outrun chariots for him. Saints, it does not start with the year of Jubilee. It does not even start with the seven-year period. It starts with what you do this week. And it will build on what you do this month. And that will build on what you do over the years. And when you look back over the decades of your life, it will have been from faith to faith. And it will have grown. This is the message for our church. Do what He has put in front of you to do with wholehearted trust in Him. There's no condemnation in this message. There is only a solemn, imperial, imperative command. Do what the Lord has told you to do. 
And do it with a smile and with all your heart. And you know what? You won't need to be encouraged. The results of what he told you to do will encourage you. We had a preschool meeting in here the other night. Pretty hectic. Balls were being flung from one side of the room to the other. Children escaped and ran off. A whole Sprite was filled in a bookcase. Everything was going on. And you know what? Most of the people who began this and participated were filled with inexpressible joy. Because they knew deep in their hearts they had done what God asked and you could see lives were being affected by it. That was a weekly Sabbath, friends. It was one that we got right. If we do enough of them, we will get the yearly right. We do enough of the years right and we will see jubilee. Revelation and faith grow together and they grow as you do what God tells you to do. You remember, if He is Lord, you cannot demand of Him proof before you do what He says. If He is Lord, you do what He says, and the proof comes. You understand? Is He Lord? Yes. Is He worth it? Yes. Second yes. Peter 1.8 says, Add to your faith. And then He lists all of these beautiful qualities. And He says, If you possess these in increasing measure, they will keep you from being unproductive and unfruitful in your faith. Saints, it's not enough to be loving. It's not. You have to be more loving tomorrow than you were today. We are on a scale that is ever-narrowing, requiring you to shed more and more flesh that what is truly life can grow in you. It's not just a narrow way, meaning it's four feet across. It is a way that is ever-narrowing, pulling more of the sinful, fleshful, selfish desires out of your life until all that's left in the end is Jesus. It's narrower at the end than it was the beginning because he who has been given much, much is required. Saints, how much have you been given? Come on now. We need to put one foot in front of the other. Some of you are tired, I know. I'm tired. We must learn to labor with the strength that he has provided We need to examine our field and say, is this something the Lord has commanded or is this simply something that I'm doing? We need to be able to rightly stand before our God and have an honest conversation and say, Lord, what do you want of me today? And when you do what he wants today enough, you can look back and go, I did what he wanted this month. I did what he wanted this year. My life is what he wants. And isn't that a good feeling? Every time as a little kid and a denominational church, I was asked to graph spiritual growth. It always started, I was close to Jesus and valid. Every time. And you know what? Everybody else is in the class did too. This is not supposed to be. Why do people feel that way? Because we had these meetings that were like pep rallies and everyone was excited and it was the peak. And then we went back to our own lives and our own ways and it just faded from there. The gospel is not like that. The gospel starts in one place and you grow beyond it and beyond it and beyond it and beyond it and it never stops. Our king is patient. He's compassionate. But he does say in Hebrews 11.6 without faith it is impossible to please him. There is one thing that he wants from you more than anything else and friends it's not perfection. Perfection we're told to aim for. Perfection we are told to be. But that is not what he wants more than anything else. He wants you to trust Him 
and then he will worry about the results. And I want to tell you about the results. If you trust him, he has promised to present you as a pure, spotless bride. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? All you have to do is follow this recipe, and you get the product in the end that was promised. Well, what's the recipe? It's trusting him. And it starts with what you do the first 144 hours of your week. And then it moves on to what you've done 312 Sabbaths. And then it moves on to what you've done 2,548 Sabbaths. And it builds and builds and builds until you know what you have done? You have a sum total of your life that speaks one word. Faith that has produced obedience. Saints, Romans 1.5 says this is what you were called to. Amen? I have a couple more scriptures for you and we close. Exodus 13, 18. Somebody read that to me. Read it loud so it'll make it on the tape. Exodus 13, 18. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. This is not the shortest way to get there. If you're going to go from Egypt into the promised land, this is not the shortest way to get there. And they are armed for battle. Why did they come out armed for battle? Why would you be armed for battle? You're ready to fight. Did Israel have to fight anyone? No. Not at all. So why be armed for battle and be led a long way around to the promised land? If you keep reading, he says because he was scared. God was not scared. He says that if the Israelites faced battle, they might want to turn back. I want you to know something about this trust that you have in God. He knows where your limits are. This God of ours knows that he needed to start with a week to teach you how to handle a year. And he needed to have several years to teach you how to handle decades. He knows how to build your faith. He is a master builder of faith. And so when he brought his people out as a nation, he did not have them face more than their faith could handle. Instead, he brought it along at a slow pace, which they could handle. And you are no different. They were armed for battle and had everything they needed the moment they were called out. But you know what they had not learned to do? Trust. So he had them encounter small obstacles and then medium obstacles and then large obstacles until they could look at a nation, not just one, but seven nations full of giants and whip them all. What is he doing in your life? Small obstacles? Medium obstacles? Large obstacles, it's all supposed to be building your trust in Him. Some of you recently have taken very strong stands for the Lord. It's holy and it's admirable. Let me ask you, after doing that even for a few months, is your life better off or worse off? The King of the universe is trying to encourage you. He is trying to build your faith. So that having done it right on a daily basis, you find yourself doing it right on a yearly basis. There is no room in the kingdom for fickle faith. There is only room for small faith that can grow to medium faith, that can grow to large faith, and ever-increasing faith, one that will not back up. Our king also says to us in Corinthians 10.13 that he always provides a way out of temptation. I want you to understand something. If you're in a situation that is difficult, and you look around and God has provided a way out, fantastic, take it. Persecuted in this city, flee to another. And if there is no way out, it must be that he has given you what you need to win. Do you hear me? 
He has given you what you need to win because our king is not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. That's why he took him the long way to the promised land. Now, none of you were born again and faced Satan himself the next moment. None of you were. If you were, come see me after the service. We'll talk. You start off with the beast in your own life before you are allowed to handle the beast in other people's lives and then the beast at large in the world. We learn to subdue things a little bit at a time. This is so it will build your faith. Amen? Joshua 23.10 is something that's worth reading. Brandon, why don't you read that? Read it out loud. One of you routes how many? I bet their faith had to been built a thousand times, a man at a time. Huh? You ever seen a UFC fight? Some of you have. I know it. Even when the judges don't score it right, you know what it is, right? One man does not easily beat another man, does he? So how does one man take on a thousand men? We first had to take on one and learn the Lord could give him success. Then two. Then three. Then ten. Then a hundred. Then five hundred. And then one could face a thousand. But it didn't start with a baby that they threw out there with a sword and said, hey, go with a thousand people. It never has. Even in Samson's life, when you read, it starts with small things and moves to larger things. Even in King David's life, it starts off with lions and bears and then moves to giants and then moves to the giant nations around them. Our God is requiring progressive, ever-growing faith. Faith to faith. But how glorious were those men. How amazing. We read their lives and it inspires us. When you look at the person on your left and right, we should be inspired. We should be inspired that their faith is growing. And it ought to give us courage to have our faith grow. I have two more scriptures for you. first one comes from John. It is John 16. Jesus spoke this before even going to the grave because he knew the results. It's John 16. Look at verse... 31. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have shalom. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He did not say, I will overcome the world. He said, I have overcome the world. Jesus began his ministry, and it started with a 40-day testing period. How did he do? How did he do? He did pretty darn well, didn't he? So Satan left him alone the rest of his life, right? No, he looked for a more opportune time. But having beaten him in those circumstances, when he faced the next circumstances, he knew he'd beat him again. He had been weighed, he had been measured, and he had been found wanting. Saints, when we have encountered the enemy in our lives, you know what? You are still here. And what is his desire? His desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's already failed two-thirds in your life at least. This ought to build your trust. Why do we fear? Why? You're still here. He's a 75% failure already. 
So maybe he stole a little bit from you. Go steal it back. Go take it back. Yes. Take from him. There is no reason for our trust not to be grown. Our last scripture tonight is 1 John 5. We'll close with this. Faith to faith. First John 5. Look at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his mitzvahs. This is love for God. To obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. It is not a burden to trust God. It's liberating. It's liberating. If it feels like a burden, examine what's going on in your life and examine your standing with Him. Something is wrong. Jesus was not burdened to do God's will. We are in the business of setting people free. We're in the business of teaching people to trust God. And the results of trusting God are pleasing God. And that is never burdensome. Something's wrong if it's burdensome. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Who is it that has overcome the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The reason Jesus could say before he even went to the cross that he had overcome the world is he had passed his weekly test. He had passed his monthly test. He had passed his yearly test. His whole life displayed trust. He knew if he finished the race with trust, his God would never let him down. Now they speak to us the words of these prophets and say, What overcomes the world? It is your trust in Jesus the Christ. It doesn't matter what you face tomorrow. It doesn't matter how big the giants are. If you knock down what God has put in front of you tomorrow, your faith will grow appropriately for the mountain that follows the day thereafter. There is nothing that can stop you, saints. Nothing. Except you. I've made up my mind. Like Joshua, as me and my household, we will serve We will trust. We will place our hope in the Lord. And my hope is in a good place. I have 16 years under my belt now that have taught me He will never let me down if I can just stand in His presence. Saints, there is no reason to believe that He will let me down in the 17th year. Can you say amen to that? Let's stand up and trust our God. It's 2,548 Sabbaths a lot. What if you threw in seven feasts during that year? What if you threw in at the first of every month a new moon Sabbath? What if you threw in special sacrifices and offerings regularly? What if you threw in a tithing principle? God designed their lives in every way. That every day they could see the results of trusting Him were good. Be careful not to design out of your life 
the need to trust him. And all of your reasoning, don't reason him out. We have a propensity to not let ourselves be put in a vulnerable position. Israel was designed in a way that the people were always in a vulnerable position. Because when we're vulnerable, we get to display trust. And when we display trust, he gets to display promise. Saints, this builds our character. It establishes our hope. And it delivers us to the prince of the universe. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Y'all join hands. That's something Christians can do. Mighty God, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the chance to trust you. Lord, we're asking that you would give us the strength to trust you more tomorrow than we have today. And yet, Lord, we praise you that we stand here in your presence by trust even now. Lord, we're not discouraged about where we stand today. We're thankful that we stand. And we're asking that we would be given the strength to stand tomorrow. Lord, we're even so bold as to say increase our faith. Stretch us. Allow us to grow that we might see the earth shake for your glory. The dead raised. The blind eyes open, Lord God, and the captives set free. We know that if you gave us five measures, you will give us more if we handle these rightly. And we're asking, Lord, for more. More of you. More love, more power, more of your divine working in our lives. We are saying we trust you, Lord God. We trust you and we are not scared for the heavenlies to hear it because it will be the reality in our life. We will display trust in you. We love you, Lord. You are amazing. Amen. Amen. All right.